We are continuing our series on the Gospel of Luke this morning, and uh, we come to Luke chapter 17. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. Our scripture reading today comes from Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, our hearts are so heavy with the burdens of our world this morning. Uh, Lord, we mourn and grieve uh, the atrocities in Afghanistan. Uh, Lord, we have great concern over the approach of Hurricane Ida. Uh, And Lord, we continue uh, to to mourn and to grieve the way in which this pandemic uh, affects lives and uh, continues to affect lives. And Lord, our hearts are also heavy with the very personal baggage we bring into this place. So Lord, we cry out for your mercy. We pray that you would meet us in our need. And we pray that you would hasten the day when Jesus returns and all things are made new. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to be a community of hope, a community of faithfulness, uh, a community, Lord, that is solidly rooted in what you've revealed in your word and what you have done in history in the gospel. Lord, we need your help with this. Speak to us this morning. Make us new, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Jesus uh, takes sin very, very seriously. And if you look at the first two verses in uh, the passage that we're looking at this morning, you can see that. But there's something else that Jesus takes with equal seriousness. And that is forgiveness. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Verses 3 through 6. Because we're always falling off on one side or the other, either failing to take sin seriously or failing to take forgiveness seriously. And, you know, right now it's kind of easy to pick on social media, and some of us grow tired of it, and I know I do. But what's happening in social media is a microcosm of a larger reality going on in our cultural moment. And there's a couple of things that I think we should just take note of. And the first is that hate travels faster than love. The anger and rage we feel inside when we experience wrongs, it moves quickly through our hearts and then out of our hearts and our mouths into the lives of others. And the second thing is, is there is a well-defined pattern for calling out in our culture, but there is no discernible pattern for restoration. There is no defined pathway to recovery. All we have is banishment into outer darkness for an undetermined amount of time with no real hope of forgiveness and reconciliation. You know, it's fascinating. Uh, The philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche actually predicted this. Nietzsche said that the death of God in our culture would leave people stuck in cycles of aspects of Christian theology 
but with no way out. By which he meant that we would inherit concepts of guilt, sin, and shame, but without redemption as an answer. And this doesn't just play out on social media. It's not social media's fault. It plays out in our day-to-day relationships. You know, I bet every one of us right now has at least one relationship that has gone sideways. We have been hurt and we don't know how to recover. And that doesn't ma- it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not yet a Christian. I think you know what I'm talking about. And the passage we're looking at this morning is actually a great challenge to us. Jesus is teaching his disciples about life in his kingdom. That's where we've been in the Gospel of Luke. And the ethic that he gives us here this morning is foundational to the community that he's establishing, which is now called the church. And this is the big idea that I want us to wrestle with. Jesus wants his church to be a community of forgiveness. You know, the church is supposed to be a counter community, an alternative society, which means there are to be different and distinct practices of our lives. Yes, they spill out into the world, but those practices are to begin in-house. That that means that they're practiced in our friendships in this community. That means they're practiced in our marriages in this community. That means they're practiced in our community groups. It means they're practiced in our affinity groups. They're practiced in all the ways that we do life together. And one of the things that Jesus is calling attention to this morning is the practice of forgiveness. That it is to become a habit of the people of God. Now, I want to make a few observations about this text to help us focus this morning. Because this is a huge topic and there is no way I can cover everything. And these are the observations I want us to make. Jesus is talking to his disciples about a specific type of situation that sadly is all too common. And that situation is when you are wronged by another member of God's family. And I want to make sure that we get this straight at the outset. Okay? He's talking about sin. Not annoyances or irritations. Right? We all have those with each other. But he's talking about real wrongs. Things that are defined as sinful by Scripture. And he's talking about sin done by a brother or sister in God's family. Yes, this has tons of implications for how we act in the world, but Jesus is speaking directly to the life that we live together in God's family on this particular occasion. And he's talking about when sin is done by a brother or sister against you. Right? Sometimes we miss this. When Jesus says, if your brother sins, rebukes him, we think he's just kind of giving general advice and that he's saying like, oh, like talking about any old sin. And Jesus is saying, get in their face and tell them what's up. But that actually doesn't make sense of this passage. If Jesus is talking about just sin in general, right, then what he says next makes no sense. He says, forgive him. (laughs) What? They don't need your forgiveness. They need God's. Unless, of course, their sin was also against you. And if that's not clear enough, Jesus makes it completely clear in verse 4. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, sins against you. Jesus is addressing his disciples and us as God's people about what to do when another member of God's family sins against you. And this is what Jesus tells us to do. This is the second observation. Jesus says, 
forgive. It is not a suggestion. It is a command. And it shows up two times. If your brother repents, forgive him. Even if he sins against you seven times a day and repents each time, forgive him. To change the language a bit, if someone sins against you and they own it and ask for forgiveness, you must reconcile with them, even if they do it seven times in a day. And by the way, um, some of you are doing some calculations in your head right now about people who have wronged you. You're like, it was eight. Good. Well, I had some bad news for you. In another place in the Gospels, one of the disciples who is catching on to Jesus' teaching, this is in Matthew 18, he says, how often should we forgive a brother Seven times, and Jesus says, 70 times seven. In other words, no matter how high you up the ante, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to trump it. Okay? And this is where some of us just get really twisted up inside. Forgiveness is a very tricky topic. It is really easy to get confused about it. And even when you do have a good understanding, it seems impossible to do. So what I want to do is I want to talk about Jesus' teaching here on forgiveness. And I want to try to tease out some of the implications of what it means for us as a church. And so let me begin with this, why we need to hear this so badly. You know, those of us who have a hard time with this teaching should take comfort in something in this passage. So did the the disciples. They had a hard time with it. What is their response to what Jesus says, right? They're completely startled. They say, Lord, increase our faith. They sense that what Jesus is saying invites them into a way of life that is contrary to all their natural instincts about how life should be lived. And they're saying, we don't have what it takes, Jesus. Help us. And I think it's worth noting that Jesus actually understands that forgiveness is not natural to us. It isn't. That's not our natural instinct. And he clues us into the difficulty when he says in verse 3, watch yourselves. It's easy to run past this, but Jesus is saying, when someone wrongs you, pay close attention to yourself. But you know what we normally do? Ordinarily, we focus completely on the wrongdoer, how they hurt us, how they rejected us, how they betrayed us. But Jesus says, watch yourself. Look carefully at how you respond. And why would Jesus say something like that when you are the one wronged? Well, here's why. Because he knows us and he knows our hearts. You see, when you're you're wronged, all sorts of things begin to happen inside of you, right? There's anger, there is bitterness, there is resentment. Sometimes there's even self-loathing. And these are like weeds that are growing in your garden. And if you don't deal with them in the right way, these weeds can take over and ruin you. How you, how I handle being wrong plays a significant role in shaping the entirety of our lives. And here's what I mean. Some of us, we tend to retaliate. You know who you are, right? We, We yell, we verbally dress down, or we write blistering emails. And honestly, it feels pretty good. Let's just, let's just be truthful here. But pretty soon... You grow into a person who cares less and less about healing and reconciliation and more and more about just getting stuff off your chest. And you develop a moodiness 
a touchiness about you. No one knows when the volcano is going to erupt. You've made matters worse, not better. Others of us, we're, we're exactly the opposite. And you know who you are. We live in denial. We say things like, it was no big deal. Or I was a little mad, but I'm over it. But you're not. You're still brooding. You're replaying it over and over and over again in your mind. And pretty soon, you start to develop a split personality. There is the public you, and then there is the private you. People experience you as nice and polite, but they don't know the anger and the rage that dwells inside of you. And you feel isolated and alone. You've made matters worse, not better. And still, there are others of us who are a little more sly and sneaky in our response. And this is what we do. We talk about the wrong done to us, to everyone but the person who did it. You know, it feels kind of good to build an alliance, right? To recruit a team of commiserators. And this happens over and over again in countless different ways. It happens around moments of betrayal. Somebody, you know, tells your secret or is two-faced with you or betrays you. You don't talk to the person. You talk with others who will share in your anger and resentment. It happens around issues of race. Somebody says something racially insensitive and hurtful. You don't talk to that person. You talk to other people who you know will affirm you in your hurt and who will share in your disgust. And pretty soon you begin to discover that so many of your friendships have formed around a shared irritation or dislike of another person or group of people. And that does nothing to heal anything. We need to hear Jesus' words because one of the things he says is pay attention to yourself. You need to speak to the person, not about the person to others. You know, confrontation gets a bad rap, right? It it, it sounds so jarring, but confrontation is involvement. It is the opposite of avoidance or distancing yourself from a person or just dropping them altogether. And it is a form of love. Love can overlook a multitude of offenses, But love has the courage to confront when a relationship has been ruptured by wrong. And confrontation, Jesus tells us, is to be done with hope for reconciliation. Which means a readiness to forgive. You know, refusing to forgive is something we don't talk about enough. But it's everywhere and it goes by many names. It's nursing a grudge. There's keeping a score. There's the silent treatment. But above all, I think what we see more than anything is resentment. One of my friends described resentment this way. It is the refusal to let someone rest from their failures. An unforgiving heart is a very dangerous thing. Which is why Jesus says, when you're wrong, pay attention to yourself. Anne Lamont, who many of you have probably read, uh, has this great line about how refusing to forgive is like swallowing poison and expecting someone else to die. When someone wrongs you, yes, there is something that they need to do. Repent. But Jesus here is addressing the wronged party. And he says, there's something you need to do. And that is watch yourself. Pay close attention to what's going on inside of you and get ready to forgive. If I could say it this way, without the call out, 
evil grows in the offender. And we kind of recognize that, at least in our cultural moment. But what we don't readily recognize is without forgiveness, evil grows in the offended. An unforgiving spirit is no good for you and it is no good for anyone else either. But we have to ask the question, what exactly is forgiveness? And that's the second thing I want to look at this morning. Because there's a variety of words for forgiveness in the New Testament. And they give it, they're like you know, different windows into its beauty and depth. But here Jesus uses an economic term. It's the Greek word atheemi. And what it communicates to us is that forgiveness involves the cancellation of debts. When someone wrongs you and you feel this inside, it's, there's an internal debt. You sense that they owe you something for what they have done. And often we calculate the currency of that in terms of pain. We want them to suffer for what they did to us. And sometimes we might try to inflict it, right? That's those of us who are the yellers and screamers, but it's also those of us who are, who are the withdrawers, and it's those of us who are the slanderers, and it's those of us who might try to squeeze it out of, slow, of them slowly by repeatedly mistreating them over a long time. There's a debt, and it has to be paid. But sometimes... We just root for it in somebody's life. We can't wait for them to get theirs. But when you forgive someone, you are absorbing the debt yourself. You cancel it at cost to you. And Jesus says, even if it's seven times in one day. Now look, this this is a hard teaching. And it is a radically different understanding of forgiveness than the one we often have. And I want want to just make a couple of comments about this. Sometimes we think forgiveness is excusing sin, but forgiveness is not excusing it. We say things like, it's okay, and that can imply that what you did wasn't really wrong, or I know you didn't mean it, right? But forgiveness means there is a real wrong suffered, a real hurt inflicted, a real debt owed. And any kind of forgiveness that does not take the offense seriously is fraudulent and cheap. Other times we act like forgiveness is just forgetting, right? Moving on, right? But forgiveness is not forgetfulness. And I don't mean this in the sense that we uh, sometimes say, like, I forgive, but I will never forget, okay? That's just saying I'm going to exact payments from you in small installments over, over time, probably for the rest of your life, okay? What I mean is... Forgiveness isn't pretending that it never happened. When God says he will remember your sins no more, that's Isaiah 43, 25. That's not a comment about God's memory. It's not saying God contracted amnesia. It's not that God can't remember, it's that he won't. As in, he's making a promise. I will not treat you as your sins deserve. I will forgive you. Forgiveness reckons with real wrongs, and it cancels debts. Now, some of you right now are noticing something. You're, you're like, but wait, wait a minute, hold on. Jesus says the other person has to repent before you forgive them. And this is very important. We need to distinguish between forgiveness as an action that restores a relationship and forgiveness as an attitude that makes that restoration possible. Jesus is certainly talking about the act of forgiving that restores a relationship here. 
And we could call it reconciliation. That can't happen without some repenting. But, and this is really important, he's not saying it's okay to nurse a grudge until someone repents. How do we know that? You know, this same word, aphiemi, that means forgive here, is also found in Mark chapter 11, verse 25. And this is what Jesus says. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. Here, Jesus is using the word to describe an internal posture, an inner disposition towards a person. Forgiveness in this sense involves an inner determination to not treat a person as their sins deserve. So there's this internal work, right, of forgiveness. And then there's the external work that happens upon repentance that leads to reconciliation. And this is all important, friends. If you don't do the internal work, you'll never be ready for the external. You'll still want them to pay the debt. You'll still want your pound of flesh. But if you do the internal work, you'll be ready for the external if and when it happens. And you know what else? You will confront in love so much better. See, often our rebukes are like a nuclear assault, right? We just just torch people. But rebuke in Jesus's words here is like a surgical incision because its goal is the healing of that person and the restoration of that relationship. You'll never be able to go to someone with these kind of intentions unless you have cultivated a posture of forgiveness that is ready to grant it and reconcile. Now, let me say something that is really, really important here. And when I mention how big this topic is, these are the kind of things that make me nervous Because we need like a whole sermon series on things like this. But forgiveness isn't foolish. If you are being abused in your marriage, God is deeply concerned for your safety. And you need to know that. And Jesus isn't telling you to ignore your husband's behavior as long as he just keeps saying, I'm sorry. There are All sorts of things to unpack here. But let me just say this. Personally forgiving someone or even preparing to forgive someone does not entail ignoring social dimensions of offenses. Right? Crimes must be dealt with. Abusive patterns must be broken. And personally forgiving someone does not immediately restore trust. Trust has to be rebuilt. In fact, it could be unloving to immediately and completely retrust someone who's broken it again and again and again. But rebuilding trust isn't possible if you hate the person who wronged you. Miroslav Volf, who's a theologian from Yale, uh, grew up amidst the horrors of Croatia. And he's written a lot about forgiveness. And one of the things he said that is just, just registered with me at a deep level is this. He said, to triumph fully, evil needs two victories, not one. The first victory happens when an evil deed is perpetrated. The second victory, when evil is returned. After the first victory, evil would die if the second victory did not infuse it with new life. What is Volf saying? He's saying what Jesus said, which is, watch yourself. Be careful. Because we get stuck in endless cycles of retaliation and resentment. Because we're not dealing with with what's going on in our hearts. Look, repairing a marriage might take a long time, if it's even possible. 
Restoring a friendship may be incredibly complicated and difficult. Healing a community can require enormous amounts of patience and perseverance. But without a determination to forgive, you default at the starting line. There is no pathway to recovery. So how in the world do people like you and me learn to forgive? Here's the thing. If we stopped with Jesus's command, uh, I would feel pretty hopeless. And I bet you would too. Because you know how hard it is to forgive. You know how helpless you can feel when you've been deeply wronged. You might feel just like the disciples. I just don't have enough faith for this. And this is what's interesting. Is Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, it is more than enough to do what seems impossible. And you want to know why? It's because it's not the largeness of your faith that is important. It is where it is placed. Do you believe in a God who will make all things right? Who will judge every wrong with righteousness, right? Who will mend everything that is broken. Nothing will be left unaddressed. This God is the one who says to have a posture and an openness about forgiveness. Do you trust him? Big faith, small faith, where is your faith? And we have to remember, who who is it that is telling us these things? It is Jesus. And the story of Jesus is so much bigger and better than our little stories. Jesus is saying these things on his way to Jerusalem where he will hang on a cross. Because he's going there to absorb the ultimate debt. In Luke 22, verse 37, we're told that he's going to be numbered with the transgressors. When he establishes the Lord's Supper, which we celebrate every Sunday, he talks about how this is the new covenant in his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And then when he rises from the dead and sends his disciples on mission, he sends them out to preach what repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name to all the nations. Jesus was the target of an assassination plot by those who feared losing power. Jesus was lynched by people who used their privilege to get rid of him. Jesus was the victim of government-sponsored murder. Jesus went into outer darkness for you and your sins and your salvation. And what the New Testament teaches us is that it is by receiving his forgiveness that we actually gain the power to forgive. We owe a debt to God for all the ways we've wronged him, ignored him, used him, disobeyed, turned away, dishonored, rejected. Yet he absorbed the debt. And it is a debt much greater than anything anyone could possibly owe to us. He did it in a way that honored his justice. He did not ignore or deny the wrongdoing, but he absorbed it for those who would receive it. And it is only by turning towards God to receive his forgiveness that there is any hope or possibility that we can turn away from our bitterness and resentment and be open to extending forgiveness to others. Friends, we have a choice of what story we're going to live by. We can live by the story of what people have done to us. And some of us get trapped there for years and for decades. Or you can live by the story of what Jesus has done for you.
Roberto Asagliago writes, Forgiveness is actually the key to freedom. Because without it, life is governed by endless cycles of resentment and retaliation. Do you want to fight evil or do you want to feed it? The way to fight it is through forgiveness. And forgiveness ain't cheap. It's costly. But guess what? Unforgiveness costs so much more. Friends, this has to be practiced. In our homes, in our friendships, in the church. And some of us... If we're honest, like we're furious right now because we don't want to forgive. But we have to see what is unforgiveness doing to us. Right? It's killing us. It's eating us alive. It keeps us tethered to evil in a way that Jesus wants to rescue us from. One author put it like this, holding a grudge or resentment can feel like a big delicious feast that I can return to again and again and again until I realize I am the main course. God goes to ridiculous lengths to bring forgiveness into the heart of the universe. Jesus, the innocent one, went into outer darkness to bring forgiveness to offenders. He endured the shame. He took on the alienation and estrangement. He paid down the debt so that you and I could be free. It's like he took giant bolt cutters on the chains that bind us to cut us loose. And then he says, go and do likewise. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. He commands us to forgive just as he commands us to love. And in fact, forgiveness is love at its best. But it has to be practiced. (laughs) Who is it that God might want you to go speak to and not about? Who is it that you need to get ready to forgive? That if they were to repent genuinely, you would cancel the debt. And there would be healing and restoration. This is part of the witness that God's people are to bear in the world. And it does not ignore justice. And it does not sidestep issues of safety and patterns of abuse or crimes, God forbid. But it is about the practice of God's people learning to deal with the way that we wrong one another to the honor of God because of the forgiveness that we have received in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and We ask you to increase our faith, but we thank you that ultimately it's not really about how big or even how small our faith is. It's about where it's placed. So Lord, instead, we ask that you'd redirect our faith. We'd find our hope, we'd find our wholeness, we'd find our joy in you and what you have done in sending your son for the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, make us uh, a people uh, who have the wisdom to navigate the complex realities, Lord, of wrongs in our world and in our heart and in our community. But Lord, make us a people, a community of forgiveness because we are people who have been forgiven. Would you help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.